You guys? All right, can I squeeze in here somewhere? First off, I gotta light this. It is a candle. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna light the church on fire. So, um, yeah, they already said this was the this is a candle. What's this thing right here? Fire. Fire. Um, you guys ever sit around a fire at your house? Yeah. We had a fire last night. You did. Yeah, we have fires at our house a lot. We like them. We, we, we have fires inside of our house sometimes in the fireplace. We sit around it. We have them um, in the backyard, too. What do you guys like to do around a fire? Make, make s'mores. I figured that'd be your answer, make what s'mores. Nice yeah. I like to run around the fire like So there, here's the thing about fires, right, is we, we, we can use fire in a way that's really, like, delight, you delight in it. You have a lot of fun around it. You roast marshmallows. You can cook food. You can just sit around it, enjoy it. Um, yeah, all of those things. And so, um, however, that being said, as much as fire can be used in a way to bless ourselves and bless each other, and we can delight in it, can you get hurt? Yes. Totally. I'm not... For some of you, you're like, obviously, you can get hurt. You can... If you're not careful with fire, you can badly get burned, like really badly get burned, right? And so um, you, you have to take responsibility, like careful, carefully be responsible around a fire. And you got to, you get too close to it, right? Bad things happen. You understand what I'm saying to you? There's a reason why I'm talking to you about fire. I, w- I promise I will ask you two questions in a second. So here's the thing. What is, I'm talking about a particular topic this morning that's probably going to be a little difficult for your parents. What's this? Money. $4. Okay, $2. $2. Probably should have put out plastic credit card because that's what we really use these days. Um, so here's the thing. In the Bible, the Bible talks about this stuff a lot. And... Here's the thing about this. I thought about actually getting a couple of these for each one of you, and my wife was like, uh, excuse me, do you remember how many of them there are? Um, so, yeah, I, I just brought up two. So um, here's the thing about this stuff. This stuff, money, is just like this. You get it? You get it? Here's the thing. This, you're going to have a lot of fun with this, right? Yeah, because you buy stuff you like and all that. Here's the thing about this stuff. If you get too close to this stuff, you get hurt. He just said, why are you holding it? Thank you for sharing that. Let me read this. Let me read you something really quick. This is out of the book of Luke. And Jesus tells this really fascinating story about money. And he talks about this guy who's kind of in a bad situation, and he uses money to make friends. He uses money to bless people so that he can shore up relationships, so he can get nice, good relationships. And then Jesus turns the table on the whole thing, and then he says this. He says, here's the lesson of all of this. This is in Luke 16. Listen very carefully. He says, use your worldly resources, that's this stuff, He says, use 
your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions, your stuff, and your money are all gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. And so here's the thing, what we can do. What can we do with money? What can we do? You guys, because you guys have been so patiently raising your hands. Go ahead. Absolutely. Perfect. What, what do you got? Yeah, so here's the thing. The way you carefully can steward and be responsible with this stuff so you don't get hurt is you pay attention to how you spend it. You pay attention. You can spend it on other people, and you can bless other people, which is a great thing. But if you only spend it on yourself and you get too close and too attached to this, you get hurt, all right? So remember, as you grow up, this stuff is like fire, (laughs) okay? It's good. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But you can badly get hurt if you get too close. Okay? All right? You got it? Everybody nod. Say, I got it. I got it, Pastor Matt. All right. Now, go home and teach your parents about that too, okay? All right. Hey, let me pray for you. You guys can pray for me and pray for the parents behind you because they need that help. All right? You ready? Bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you this morning. Thank you for these children, and uh, we, we love them, and we're so thankful for them. They're a gift to us. They teach us. They challenge us. They grow us. They mature us, and as a church, we want to steward and take responsibility for them in a way um, that honors you. So teach us how to do that. Um, teach us to give them grace. Teach us to love them well, to discipline them well. Um, to be close to them and pay attention and listen to them well. Bless the parents. Bless those in the room who want to be parents. Um, Just bless us all, Father, as we learn to learn from you and be your disciples and love you and honor you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. Well, peace be with you, church. Um, We are, um, we're going to be in James 5. James 5. And obviously, spoiler alert, you already know what we're talking about. Um, So, um, and buckle your seatbelts. It's, this isn't going to be an easy one to read. Uh, James 5, starting in verse 1. Short passage, just 1 through 7. Sorry, it's just one through six. One through six. Um, that's all we're going to read here. So James 5, one through six. If, if you're able and you won't stand for the reading, that would be wonderful, just out of respect for God's word. If you're not able to stand, that's okay. This is what James says. And you might want to take a deep breath. Right? Just, you know. He says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches have rotted and your, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat, thanks. You guys okay? You all right? Um, it's a tough one. We're in a series, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we're in a series on the problems, problems that plague the church. We're just, we're just simply trying, like, it's one thing to demand perfection in the church. It's another thing to just accept status quo and some of the mistakes and the problems that exist in the church. What we're simply trying to say, we're sp- trying to spend a little bit of time just thinking carefully about the problems that are often pop up in the church, like perennial problems, problems that are particular in our day and age, in our cultural moment. And let's just say, hey, what would it look like as Christians that for to take responsibility for it? Like to actually just calmly say, yeah, it's, uh, it's me. Like I, I'm part of that problem and think carefully about how we can change our hearts through Christ and, and just take responsibility for it. It's amazing what, what happens when Christian people just start to own themselves and their own problems and stop all the finger pointing. So when I was a kid, I grew up in the church, as I've shared many times here. I, I, when I was a kid, I often heard the lament, at least in the church I was in, was the lament was that the church wasn't the church of Acts, the book of Acts, what you see in the book of Acts. And I, I just kind of took that in. And I just, I feel like I, I heard that all the time. We just need to get back to the church of Acts. You know, here's the thing, now that I'm much older and been a pastor for a while, I, I'm assuming that they were mainly talking about like at chapters one and two, because the thing about it is, is, um, and you know, in chapters one and two, you see in two, they're praying together and sharing their stuff and giving to people in need. I say that because greed, greed shows up in chapter five. That's immediately, like, doesn't take long, Ananias and Sapphira, this husband-wife situation, they sell their property and they buy about the proceeds. It's, it's this very, very strange, weird story. Um, but the, So it's kind of funny to me that the church literally, the New Testament church made it three chapters before they started getting in trouble, <laughs> before problems started popping up. Now, I mean, if you could, please just think about that for a second. The New Testament church... It's just like this whole thing is getting kicked off, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and then here they are, the Holy Spirit has come, all of this. And, and, and this is what begins to pop up, the first thing. The first thing was not sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was not the first problem in the church. The first problem that we read about, at least that's recorded, is greed. Greed. Are you surprised? <laughs> Are you surprised by that? We shouldn't be, you know. No way, man. Money, wealth, greed, 
exploitation, hoarding, exploiting people, neglecting people, abusing people for financial gain. This stuff goes way back, way, 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 way back. I mean, the Old Testament, before the church was called the church, and it's just considered this newly formed people called Israel, God starts talking about money all the time. And you can read about this if you turn back to all of that. I mean, things like rules like he told them. God said to his people back then, way, 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 these ancient people. He said, don't, don't, don't harvest your whole field. Like, leave the edges of the field for the poor. You don't need to make 100% profit on what you have. Share some of it. Or, or the Sabbath regulation, when he, when he instituted a, a, a one day in seven kind of rule. And, and, and all of that is like, hey, take one day a week where you're going to rest and you're not going to work and you're not going to make profit and you're not going to make other people work. You're not going to exploit other people. One day, and then every seven year, you're going to have a, a, a seven year sabbatical where you're going to cancel all your debts. So the neighbor or the friend that you have that owes you some money right now at that seven year mark, you're going to be like, never mind. Forget about it. I mean, I could go on and on and on. All these rules that God placed on his people to say, hey, 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 money, be careful. You're not going to be about money. My people are not going to be about money. So the, 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 the whole idea patterned in really the entirety of the Bible, that God's people are meant to be a different kind of community compared to the world and the cultures around them. Like, when it comes to money, they're going to be just radically different. Uh, in, in Luke 12... Jesus is confronted with these two brothers, and or well, one brother, and he's like, "Divide the inher- like, make my brother divide the inheritance with me." And Jesus is like, "I don't want to be in the middle of this." That's what he says, essentially. And then he leverages the moment, though he then like kind of turns to everybody and he teaches on it, and he says, "This, this is Luke twelve verse fifteen. He says, "Beware, guard against every kind of greed." Life is not measured in how much you own. That's the NLT version that I read. That's a perfect word installation, I think, of what the church is meant to model. And that's this, that a community, like the church is meant to be a community that deeply understands that money does not equal life. Let me say it again. Money does not equal life. It doesn't. And so... The community of God's people, the church, is meant to be this group of people that are extremely watchful over their relationship to money, and they're brave enough, they're brave enough to stop living for it. Okay, great. So um, why do we need to talk about that in this series, though, right, like in terms of problems in the church? Well, first this. First of all, I've never heard, nor have you, Someone say, you know what I don't like about the church? You know what I just can't stand and why I don't go on Sundays or why I won't join a community of believers? You know what I don't like? They live below their means. They never flaunt their wealth. Actually, they seem to enjoy giving it away. They're radically generous. They just seem to get this strange pleasure out of blessing people with what they have. And you know what? It just drives me nuts. You have never, ever, ever heard anyone say that. Ever. 
You probably heard something like the opposite. <laughs> like you've heard someone say something like, you know what I like about Christians? Is they're stingy and they don't tip well. Something like that, right? Because we're all about people getting what they deserve. Oh, the irony, right? Well, he, he was a bad waiter. Well, you've been a bad person. So, and you know, the, the funny thing about all this is, is actually we have written evidence that when the church lived with radical generosity, that's when it became wildly attractive to the outsiders. It's true. I just kind of hinted at it a minute ago, but Acts 2, verse 45 through 47, here's what it says. The newly formed church, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this is very interesting to me. It was not dynamic preaching or crazy organized missional programs that grew the church. All the stuff that we love. And you know what it was? It was just simple living with gratitude and generosity with their possessions, and they exploded. And people loved them. Very attracted to their community, simply because they were just radically generous people. The second reason we're going to talk, we need to talk about it is because the Bible is emphatically concerned with money and possessions. I mean emphatically concerned to the point, honestly, friends, and I just spent a week in this, so like I'm a little disturbed by it, to the point that it's just arresting. I, one estimate that I read was that the Bible contains roughly 2,350 comments on the topic of money and possessions. That's well over the amount of comments on prayer and faith combined. That's because money has to be dealt with. Like it, money and possessions and our attachment to it has to be dealt with. Now, think about this. Consider um, all the different circumstances in this room. Like you, all of us, together. Think about all the different circumstances in here the different backgrounds, the different personalities, the different Myers-Briggs that are mixed in here, all, you know, the different Enneagrams, whatever you subscribe to, all the different colors in this room, the different genders in this room. Think about all the, you know, you've got introverts in this room, you've got extroverts in this room, you've got wildly educated in this room, and you've got people that, you know, barely got through high school or didn't get through high school at all or whatever it is. Like, every bit of that is represented in this room. Every bit. Um, but there are two topics, two realities, regardless of your interests, your hobbies, your career. There are two topics, two realities that literally every one of us has to confront and deal with at some point. We have to care about them. You know what they are? Health and money. Health and money. I don't care who you are, what your age is. What your interest is. Those are two things every single one of us is going to have to confront. We'll have to. I mean, think about this. I mean, at, at some point, many points, <laughs> you know, for many of us, your body will demand your attention. It's just will, <laughs> you know, whether it's like a minor inconvenience or a major one. Your body is going to fail. 
The other thing is, at some point, at many points, maybe daily, you're going to have to attend to your bank account. <laughs> you just do. You just, you just have to deal with it. And you know that. You can't, it doesn't matter what. So the, the, the point I'm trying to make is just these two things have an important relationship with each other. And I'll get to that in a second. So we have to talk about it. But in a nutshell, here's why the Bible talks so much about money. Because how you earn it, how I earn it, how we spend it, is a direct index to the condition of your heart. It's just a direct correlation to how you're doing in here. And I'm not saying you like that. I'm not saying I like it. Okay? I'm saying it just, that's what clearly is. You know, I, I, I like to frequently tell people, listen, I can tell you what you love by looking at your bank statements and your calendar. They reveal what we like a lot or love a lot. And the Bible knows that, which is why it talks about it all the time. They just reveal the condition of our souls, our money does, and the way we spend it. I give you just a, one biblical, one biblical little example that proves my point. There's a time a man named Zacchaeus. He's a greedy tax collector, right? God he's made him a lot of money, and he made a lot of money doing bad stuff. And he has dinner with Jesus, and we don't know everything that was said at dinner. Something happened though. Something stirred up in this dude Zacchaeus and radically shifted and changed in his heart. Can't explain all of it. We don't really know. But by the end of the evenings, this guy Zacchaeus said that he would give half of his money to the poor and pay back fourfold those that he cheated. And here's the thing about that story. Many of you know that story. Jesus didn't just say, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a good Christian discipline, Zacchaeus. It's not what he said. What he said, if you actually reflect upon it, is, is really disruptive. What he said was today salvation's come to him. Salvation. That's Luke 19, verse 9. You can look it up. Jesus judged the reality of the man's salvation not on how well he could talk Christian, not on how well he could pass a systematic exam. Jesus judged the condition of his soul because of how radically generous he got. And that's uncomfortable for us. It was based on his willingness to part with his money for the glory of God and the good of other people. So let me just state something that you, you, you I, I know that you already know intuitively. So I don't want to spend too much time on it. But the Bible doesn't have a problem with, the, with money in itself. Like, in case we didn't all know that, but I think we all, you're all wildly intelligent people. So the Bible does not have a problem with money, per se. The Bible is concerned with whether you love it. Do you love money? Um, whether money is ruling your, all of your motivations, your emotions, and, and causing us to forget about who God is. Is money taking us down paths that are, that are away from God? and away from the good and the welfare of people that are below, much further below you? Is money taking you away from them? That's 
the thing that the Bible's very concerned with. The problem is, is that when getting money and keeping money is the driving force of our lives and we're captivated by more of it, that, then we are the condition of our souls and what God is doing in our midst. That's the concern in the Bible. And my guess is, my guess is, and I say this, man, please hear me. My guess is that you struggle with it. And I say that because I struggle with it. I, 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 me and my wife, we've struggled with it. Um, my wife t- got, took a new job this year, and uh, we, we've, we've been a dual-income household uh, from the beginning. And so um, based on just kind of as we've kind of developed a vision for the kind of life we want, um, which money impacts. And so we, we decided we would take her, she'd get a new job, which was a $25,000 pay cut. That's like not small amounts of money for us. And that took, my, my, the point of me sharing that is that that decision took like over, it wasn't like a week of thinking about that. That was like a year, two years thinking and praying like, do, is it, do we want to move into, like that's how money, much of money is a struggle. Like it's hard to grapple with those sorts of decisions. I struggle with figuring out like what is enough, what to give, what you struggle. I, so I, I just kind of get that up front to say, hey, can we, can we just all, you know, if we were more of a talking church, I'd say, let's just all say together, we struggle. <laughs> you know what I mean? We struggle with money. Developing um, a careful heart and open hands towards money just is going to require some really deep reflection. Some deep reflection. That James 5, that, that's why I picked it, I think helps us. And so there's just a few I'll give us to consider. The first one is this. If you're going if you're, if you're to become someone who's really guarded, guarded about money, and generous with money, you're going to first have to come to terms with the fact that we have an, an innate habit of dodging the conversation. Like, I'm, I'm forcing us to talk about it because I have a microphone and you don't. Um, but, like, we don't, we don't actually like to talk about it, like, openly, do we? Like, I, you, 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 I, I know, like, when you're in, like, you, you should, probably would share a lot of things with your friends and I won't, I won't ask for a raise of hand, because I can prove my point really quickly. How many of you, just don't, don't just, just, all you got to do is just look at me, just, just dead eye look at me. How many of you would be comfortable sitting down with one of your friends and saying, here's my bank account, here's how I spend my money? I, my guess is, is like most of us, you're like, well, well, I don't know if that's really... But you, like, some of you would be like, you open up talking about your sex lives. I mean, you would talk about all sorts of things. Not that one. I notice it as a pastor. I can talk about almost anything in the Bible, and people are like, yeah, man, amen, amen. And I start talking about money and giving or whatever, and people just get clammy. Like, it's all of a sudden, I'm like, what did I just, did I just touch a sacred cow? It's like, Yes. We just get really uncomfortable when we talk about it. It's not that I don't know. It's not that you don't know the danger of money. 
and how easily it can rule us. It's that we struggle to get serious about our own problem with it. And it's evidenced in our lack of confession, the way, like the way, the fact that we just aren't really comfortable talking about it in a way of like, man, I'm not good at, like, I've been, I, I'm self-indulgent a lot. Uh, James 5, 1 through 3 says, Come now, you rich, weep, howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. So look at that carefully. Apparently, these people James is addressing are not miserable currently. <laughs> they're, they're not yet. They will be, but not yet. So um, James is commanding something nearly impossible, but not completely impossible. He's saying, turn the deep comfort and joy that you get from your money into sadness, or at least deep sobriety. Why would you ever do that? <laughs> Why would you? Well, James is saying to us, well, you would do that if you realize to the core that this whole business of wealth obsession is going to be your demise. It is literally going to ruin you. And if you knew that, you would weep. Now, here's the thing about that, what I just said. If you're thinking right now, and it might be because you just don't like me. That's fair. But if you're thinking right now based on what I just said, no, 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 no. I've got way more self-control than that. Then you've literally just proved his point. Like if you if you're not someone who has this kind of like the way I kind of was sharing with the kids a second ago, if you're not somebody who has this kind of fear and trepidation towards money where you realize what it actually is, and the way it it doesn't just lead you down bad paths, that it fools you. Money's smarter than you. It's more clever than you. And if you don't realize that you are deeply outmatched by it and you don't have that kind of attentive like spirit towards it, you are literally the point he's making. Because he, what he's saying is, is that rich people should come to terms with it and say, oh my gosh, this stuff is going to kill me. Money, sneaky like that. It just doesn't have tremendous power to be the driving force in your life. It numbs you and distracts you from its power. No one ever says, I have enough. <laughs> I just have enough. Enough is a moving goalpost. It's like, right, you think you're going to get to enough, and then it's like, wow, wait, where did it go? It just moved up. It just keeps moving up. So if you're not suspicious of money, according to the Bible, you just don't really understand money, nor do you understand yourself. Um, author and speaker Zig Ziglar said this, money, this is so good, Money will not make you happy, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. So true. And I, there's parts of me, to be honest with you, like friend to friend, there's parts of me that's just like, I, I kind of wanted to be like, everything I say, I, kn I know that everything I say today will, will probably, this sounds horribly, I'm sorry, but <laughs> there's parts of me, honestly, I've lived long enough and I've seen enough, and I've watched myself and my mistakes and my failures enough that I know that most of everything I'm going to say today, most of you will take this morning, and you'll do nothing with it. <laughs> it's just like, there's going to be a few. I think that's why Jesus so often said hard things, and he said, those who have ears, let them hear, and then he walked away. Because he just knew there would only be a few people that would actually care enough to do something about it. 
When it comes to money, nothing I say nor the Bible is saying will ever make a difference to you. It's not going to make a shred of difference in your life until you arrive at that crystallization of discontent deep inside of yourself where you begin to be like, I am sick and tired. I'm fed up with this. I'm, I'm tired of the mental energy this takes up in my mind. I'm sick and tired of the of the stress. I'm sick and tired of the worry. I'm sick and tired. And you, and until you get deeply discontent inside yourself, friends, we, I'm not, and you're not that, you know, to get it back to my story, some of my, my, my struggles and my wife and us dealing with our income and how to go way backwards, not forwards and income was to coming to this place of like, I'm sick of this. It wasn't just this like super righteous thing in me. It was more just like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted trying to figure out how to make more. It's just pure survival in a lot of ways. Two, the other thing we got to do, reflect on, we, we need to come to terms with what we really want. You got to come to terms with what you actually really want in your life. Verse 3, he says, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. What, what in the world is he saying? He's describing the last days of their life. Or, well, is he describing the last days of their life as if they're extremely advanced in age or on their deathbed? No, not exactly, right? He's, he's referring to the Lord's return. There's nothing left between now and when the Lord's return. Like, it's all we're doing now is waiting for him to return. And he's describing that, and he's saying, look, that could happen any day. It could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow, next year, 10 years. Who knows? But he's saying, uh, we should live with a sense of anticipation and attention to that. That it could happen. That being said, his choice of words does express the foolishness of our typical logic. So if you could, for a second, imagine you're on your deathbed. Yeah, right. Fun Sunday, I know. Uh, imagine you're on your deathbed. Imagine you've got six months. You've got six months to live. You've got one year. Which, by the way, could very easily happen tomorrow. So imagine this. What are you going to do with that six months? What are you going to do with that one year you've got? Now, imagine this. Imagine after that diagnosis, after that reality sinks in, imagine going out and aggressively, like aggressively, with energy and gusto, spending all of your time the remaining time that you have, imagine going out and doing everything you could to earn more money to spend it on your own comforts. How does that sit with you? My guess is, is it actually deep inside of you disturbs you a little bit. My guess is, is there something in you that you're like, oh, yeah, that I would definitely not do that. There's something about that that we just know would be kind of gross. And it would, it would something that we would never do. So, if we understand it that way, we're tapping into the logic that James is using here. Your death gives you a radical sobriety about what you're living for right now. In chapter 1, he, 
he gets at that. He, chapter 1, he's like, if you're poor, boast in your exaltation. If you're rich, man, you should be humiliated. Either way, it doesn't matter. You're like grass and you're going to fade. Your life is fleeting, is what he talks about in chapter 1. Think about it. We get so worried and stressed about money, and yet if you knew you were dying tomorrow, your obsession with money would end abruptly. But at the same time, you wouldn't cast what money you do have into the sea, like, well, who cares? I, I, I can't take it with me anyway. No, no, no. Here's what you would do. You would start evaluating what you really love deep to the core of yourself, and you would start thinking about how and who to bless and how to lay up treasure that stretch beyond you and into eternity. That's what you would do if you were on your deathbed. That's exactly what you would do. James' warning here invites us into a deeper evaluation to what we really want. We want relationships. We want intimacy. We want love. We want to do things that are good and true and beautiful that stretch beyond us in our own lives. And he's saying, tap into that. Number your days. If you want to get really good at managing your money, number your days. And realize that life is fleeting. It's a breath. It's a blip. The third thing would be this. Come to terms with the incredible kindness and love of the Lord. James calls these Christians out for apparently their exploitation and neglect of the poor, which is usually in the Bible when money is addressed, usually the poor are brought into it immediately. There's a deep connection. Apparently, according to the Bible, um, that when you start to love money, you start to exploit people in some fashion, and you say, no, I do not do that. I don't cheat anyone. I'm telling you, you do. We all do. You know how I know it? Because even though I may not be like outright scamming anyone or anybody, if I love money, I work all the time and I neglect my family. If you love money, you will always in some fashion exploit or neglect or abuse some other person. Every single time. That's why the Bible is always addressing it. Ultimately, we're all going to be accountable. That's what James is getting at. You and I are going to be accountable. There is an undeniable accountability to what you do with your money. As much as we don't want to hear that, that's truth. Money, it just expresses the condition of our hearts, which is the thing that God deeply cares about. But then James says something really strange here. He says in verse 6, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, that's deeply confusing for a lot of scholars. Like, they go back and forth. They love to argue over this passage. Is James talking about the poor being the righteous? Or is he pointing beyond them to Christ, to Jesus? And I would say it's probably both. (laughs) Because if he is talking about the poor in this conversation, bear in mind that Jesus has previously spoken about identifying so deeply with the poor. It's like, what you do to the poor is what you do to Jesus. And so here's the deeper point. Jesus doesn't stand in the way of what we want to do with our money. Do you realize that? He doesn't stand in the way. I mean, if you lived this past week in complete self-indulgence with your money, 
Did Jesus come down and say something to you? Was he wagging his finger? <laughs> no, don't you do that. No. Jesus doesn't control or coerce us in the direction that we want to take with our money. If we want a life of self-indulgence, he doesn't resist that pursuit. I think he looks upon our greed. He looks upon my greed. And I just think he sighs. When he talks to the rich young ruler and says, sell all of your possessions, you know, I think he's sighing there. I think when he says it is incredibly difficult for a rich person to enter in the kingdom of heaven, bear in mind, that is not an edict of him saying, I'm going to make it really difficult on you rich people. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is he's lamenting. He's saying, I know for you rich people, this is going to be really difficult. And it saddens me. That's just how the universe works. That's how it's set up. Jesus doesn't control or coerce us. Not at all. That's the kind of Savior He is. I just would like for, as we end here, to just, if you could just reflect on it, that, that, that Jesus gives us freedom to make our choices with our money. He, he does. He, he, he's not like some of us churches or whatever that try to control or coerce people into their money. Not Jesus. Not at all. He, 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 he just is completely open. He gives us the freedom. He, he will not compel you to give up on your love affair with money. He won't. He will simply continue to love you, and he will invite you out of your love affair with it for your own good. But ultimately, it's your decision. <laughs> That's the thing. It's my decision. It's your decision. I have agency to do what I want with my money. You have agency to do what you want with your money. It is your decision to make. It is your life. Do what it, with it what you want. You see here what I'm learning myself at the root of money problems, at the root of having enough at the root of giving it away is counterintuitively a problem with receiving. <laughs> receiving love, trust. What is it that Jesus wants to really offer, right? Jesus says, it is, fear not, he's what he says. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want to give it all to you. You just don't really want to receive it. Henry Nouwen said this, receiving is often harder than giving. Giving is very important. Giving insight, giving hope, giving courage, giving advice, giving support, giving money, and most of all, giving ourselves. Without giving, uh, there's no brotherhood and sisterhood. But receiving is just as important because by receiving, we reveal to the givers that they have gifts to offer. When we say, thank you, you gave me hope. Thank you, you gave me a reason to live. Thank you, you allowed me to realize my dream. We make givers aware of their unique and precious gifts. Sometimes it is only in the eyes of the receivers that the givers discover their gifts. Now here's the thing. Jesus is, of course, deeply aware of what he's offering. He is offering you eternity. He is offering you love. He is offering you acceptance. I, Jesus is offering you a dream. But I wonder, what does Jesus see? In our eyes, when he looks at your eyes, what does Jesus see? Does he see someone who is ready to receive? Does he see someone who's saying, 
I believe that you actually, it, you delight in giving me the kingdom of God that will stretch into eternity. And I believe you and I want it. Does he see someone ready to receive that? Someone who's deep inside saying, money is never going to make me happy. I was designed for something more. I need you and only you or I will just be miserable. Like, I will be miserable, Jesus, and left. I just have you. So to heck with it. To, the, to heck with self-sufficiency. To, to heck with trying to secure up as much financial gain as I possibly To heck with it, man. It's not leading me to happiness, to joy, to flourishing, and I'm sick of it. I'm casting all my chips in. If that's you, it's going to take brave practices. It will. There's no way around it. I've learned that myself. I'm still learning it today. Detangling yourself from money means taking risks. I love my wife dearly. It's one of the best decisions I ever made, marrying my wife. Not the only great decision. I, I decided to love Jesus too. But marrying my wife was a great decision. Make no mistake, it was a, uh, there was risk involved though. <laughs> I had to step out and say, I, I, I want to I wanna be with you. Every good, deep, meaningful thing has risk. This has risk. Bravely start giving it away, man. Not out of compulsion and fear, but out of loving response to the love and freedom Christ has given you. And watch what happens. Use it. Use your money to alleviate problems and bless others if you have some of it. Right? Like, use it anywhere you feel moved, especially here if you call this place home. Don't worry, the buckets aren't going around. We don't have any buckets to go around today. But, like, this is a reality. Brave, it's just going to take that. It's going to take you little by little saying, I can, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see what happens. The invitation is to use your money to build something beautiful. Use your money to tell a better story because your money is telling a story. What's the story it's telling? It's a great question to ask. Does your life look the same, the exact same as your friends outside of the faith? If it does, that's strange. It's something we all have to wrestle with. And so as we come to the table, as we come to communion, bear in mind, bear in mind that Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night he was taking his last supper with his friends, Jesus was betrayed over 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. And they murdered him. And he didn't complain. He, he took the bread anyway, and he gave thanks. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And this cup of wine is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is, represents his blood poured out for you. That he died. Jesus died so that he could give us the kingdom of God freely. The question is, do you really, really, really want it? And do you want to express 
and always, with your words and with your money and your time and all of it, do you want to express with great bold risk that you believe that the kingdom is real? That's the question. And so if that is you, you're wrestling with that in some fashion, you are trying to take that on, that that sense of loyalty and love for Jesus, you're invited to come take part, that station or that station, taking a piece of the bread and dipping it in the wine or the juice. As they stated earlier, there's also a gluten-free option for you. If, if, if that is not you, man, stay in your seat and pray. Come ask me questions or another pastor a question or any friends that you have here. Ask them questions. and We would love to sort this stuff out for you. But if that is you, take time to reflect, to take time to reply, pray, and then take part in this. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we thank you this morning for all that you've done for us, for what you've done in your son. He gave his life so that I might have life. He became poor so that I might be rich in the kingdom of heaven. You may not give us all earthly riches that we want or earthly things and possessions that we want, but it is your good pleasure, Father, to give us the kingdom of heaven. And that is the thing that we want to long for, believe in, and live our lives for. Help us to do it. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to remember what truly matters on a deeper level than our money. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.